0: Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in beautiful Burbank, California, with a very special returning guest by the name of Preston Lerner. Preston, welcome back to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: I absolutely am, Mark. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here again.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot has changed in the world since 2016 when you were a guest on the show. Wow, well over a thousand guests before, and boy, has a lot changed. But one thing I didn't ask you last time you were on the show before I give you an introduction here is this. What's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about Preston Lerner?
1: Probably a lot of things they don't know about (laughs) me, but uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm I'm an aspiring musician, um, jazz pianist of no uh, particular... uh, special ability but I really I love uh, love music I, I can't imagine living without it it's one of the things I really enjoy doing
0: jazz piano well that's cool you know I I grew up playing the guitar I actually taught guitar during high school in the summers it's uh, a little kids because when I learned how to play my mom insisted I learned from kind of a master musician where you had to learn scales and read music and write music and all that and at the time, I really didn't like it. I just wanted to learn how to play a rock song, Mom. But uh, it, it taught me a lot of great things. But I always wanted to play the piano, and I never really got into it. I can sit down and, you know, do a couple chords and things, but I guess I have to practice, right?
1: Yeah, the, uh, the funny thing is I took classical piano when I was a kid until I was about 16, and then I played rock guitar for many years. There you go. Classic rock. Yeah. Um, but then I inherited my parents' piano and uh, didn't really enjoy uh, piano, rock piano, and ended up taking up, uh, becoming a jazz snob, and now that's all I listen to <laughs> and all I play. <laughs> that's uh, totally But true. yeah, that, the, the guitar, actually, especially playing rock music, I mean, you really didn't need to know music theory and scales and modes and those things, and I had to sort of learn all that stuff. And without practice, you really can't, you can't do anything at a... At least for me, I couldn't just do it all by ear. I had to really drill and practice, you know, spend hours at the piano learning stuff.
0: Music is awesome. Yeah, it uh, it's a wonderful thing. Well, let me give you a proper introduction because we, uh, listeners, we got Preston back today because there's a new book that he's authored that is very cool. We're going to talk about that. So here we go. Preston Lerner has been writing about motorsports since the Dallas Grand Prix back in 1984, and covered a variety of other subjects for magazines ranging from Wired to the New York Times Magazine. A long time. Contributor to Automobile Magazine and Road and & Track, he now writes mostly for Haggerty's print and online publications. He's the author of seven books, from a marked history of the all-American scarabs, <laughs> there's a cool car, to a blow-by-blow account of the Le Mans winning Ford GTs. And this latest book, Shelby American, the renegade who built the cars, won the races, and lived the legend, reexamines the mythology surrounding Carroll Shelby and his Cobra-based empire. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little listen, and we'll be right back. Buckle up. Autumn has arrived, the weather's changing, and that means your vehicles need extra protection against everything Mother Nature can drop. Covercraft offers you a multitude of layers of protection for your special rides. Are you putting your summer toys away, watercraft, RV, motorcycles, trailers, or even your patio furniture? Covercraft has a custom fit cover for whatever your need. Covercraft offers you 10 different car cover options. That's right for your special vehicle's protection, whether stored inside or out all carefully crafted into the form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. And don't forget their custom fit seat covers, pet pad, Fido's gonna get wet and muddy, I guarantee it, dash mats, sunscreens, and custom fit floor mats and trunk mats. Whatever the surface you want to protect, Covercraft has your solution. If you use the code YA 21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Simply use the code Y-E-A-H-2-1 at checkout. Come on, Mother Nature, bring it on. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework, I shopped around, and I found American Collectors Insurance. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars. Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. So Preston, uh, as I said, a lot has changed in the world. However, this passion and love for carol shelby and what he created still remains and when i got this book from our friends at octane press i went okay another shelby book what on earth can we learn that we don't already know but you've covered a lot of interesting things this is the 60th anniversary of shelby american and one of the things i learned was you know that company really was only around for like less than 10 years right
1: actually yeah it only was formed in 62 and it technically folded in 67 or ceased to exist in 67. Although Shelby continued to race under Shelby racing for another two years or so after that, but yeah, it's a pretty, uh, pretty short run. And, um, uh, it's amazing what they accomplished in that short period of time. Well, it
0: is, you know, you, you kind of think about, well, let's say the Beatles, uh, they were really not around together for that long, but you thought they were together forever because their music endured. And that's what Shelby's con- contributions to racing and cars, especially if Uh, of course, the Shelby Cobras and so forth. So, uh, and not only Carroll Shelby, but there is some, interesting characters working with this guy i'll name just a few phil remington ken miles pete brock who's still with us carol smith so let's start by talking a bit about how you dove into this book how it all came to be why you decided to write a book about shelby american and then, as we go through our talk today we're going to kind of be twisting my questions up i'll focus on what you've learned with the book so let's go back to the beginning why write the book
1: well it's 2022 is the 60th anniversary of the creation of the cobra and uh to be honest, I got an assignment uh, from Haggerty um, to do a piece uh, late last year about the upcoming 60th anniversary. And in doing the research, um, I realized, that, as you say, there's been a ton of stuff already written about Shelby and Shelby American. It was it was covered, you know, very very closely back in the day at the time, and it's been written about by. Dozens of authors ever since. But it's, I also found in doing the research, there's a lot of stories that haven't been told or at least haven't been widely disseminated. And, you know, we all know Shelby and, and some people know Phil Remington and Ken Miles, but there, you know, there were hundreds of other people who were involved in building and racing the cars. And I wanted to tell, tell some of their stories as well. And this gave me an opportunity to, to do that.
0: So as you dove into this book, I always ask about mentors and influencers and so forth. Who are some of the people that really inspired you as you started to kind of peel back the onion even more, the giant Shelby onion, if you will? Uh, who are some of the people that really inspired you and maybe tell a few stories you learned about them?
1: Well, I mean, to me, the book that, you know, the, the best book about this era and perhaps the best book ever written about American racing is uh, the Dustin McGlory, the, the Leo Levine book. Uh, Leo dev- died actually last year, unfortunately. And, and I, I mean, to do, I was really inspired to do something Similar to what he did, which was to tell the backstory behind all the the lore that we all know so well. Uh, you know, we all know, you know, the Fords won, uh, Le Mans went one, two, three in 1966, and that was obviously covered in Ford v Ferrari, with the centerpiece of that movie. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that most people don't know, and so I was, I really wanted to sort of delve into some of that material. You know, and and these were a lot of uh, heroes. I mean, the guys who did this this work. You know, they they were some of the most important figures in, in American racing of the post-war era. And I just was inspired to kind of tell their stories just because some of them hadn't been told in detail before. And I just wanted people to know, you know, there was more than just, there was more than Carroll Shelby and, and Ken Miles. There was also, there were mechanics and fabricators and um, truck drivers and just a whole slew of uh, hundreds of people that were really were necessary to make this program into a winning program.
0: Who are some of the guys that are still with Obviously, Pete Brock's still with us. Who are some of the guys that are still with us that you got to actually talk with?
1: Yeah, that's one of the unfortunate things is when you have something that's 60 years old, uh, that means that people are a minimum of 80 years old or right. 90, and so a lot of them are gone. And I was fortunate in that I interviewed a lot of the major players back in the day when they were still alive, uh, although I didn't know I was interviewing them for this book at the time. Uh, <laughs> but I see. I, I had transcripts from the interviews back then. But – um you know someone like Chuck Cantwell. Uh, Chuck Chuck ran the uh, the Mustang programs and the GT350 and the Trans Am programs. And Chuck is still around. Uh, Ron Butler and Charlie Agapu were two of the lead mechanics. Charlie was at the Le Mans during the you know the winning years of '67, and and Ron Butler worked for Shelby all the way up until the the shop closed down in '69. Dave Jordan drove the Toyota. 2000 gts most people don't even know that shelby ran 2000 gts uh he was the first team to uh to run the toyotas here in the united states and he's still around i mean so there were still people around and and you know some of them were didn't remember things as well as they might but uh some had really vivid memories of what happened back in 62 63 65 whatever and it was uh it was fascinating just to hear them tell their stories and also to see how they sometimes diverged from the mythology that. Uh, that we're all familiar with um, well, of course from- <laughs> the,
0: the bigger than life carol shelby um and as you wrote the book obviously carol shelby played a major role however is he the the key standout in your book still to this day or is it really this culmination of all these different people
1: well i do think it's i mean look shelby without shelby there's no none of this happens i mean it is shelby working for a reason? Um, and uh, he made it happen, and it never would have happened without him. And I don't think anyone else could have done what he did. I mean, he basically started with nothing. He had no money. He had no chassis. He had no engines. He didn't even have, well, it's not unclear whether he had the name or not. Uh, some people say he came up with the name before he came up with the car, actually, but a uh, Cobra name, that is. And without his, um, you know, his, without his vision and his salesmanship and his personal charisma um, and his uh, business acumen, I mean, none of this happened. So um, I think that's really the most important thing to understand. That being said, um, you know Shelby was not a designer. He was not an engineer. He was not a mechanic. I mean, he didn't do anything hands-on. He didn't race the cars ever. Although he'd only retired about two years before building them, so you know he had to hire a bunch of people, and he did hire you know the best and the brightest in the United States who went to work there at Shelby American. And that was also part of his genius. He he knew how to find the right people for the right job, and he let them alone, and and he let them do what they did, and they did it, and. He made sure they weren't bothered. He made sure they had the money they needed and the time. And uh, so without Shelby, none of this exists. But there were also a lot of other people who deserve some of the credit for what happened.
0: Would you say he's, in essence, the master marketer or manager or boss or – I mean, do you think about what you just said and how he pulled this whole thing off and continued to throughout his life? He just kept – Coming up with things. And was his his charisma, his enthusiasm, what would you say it was about him that inspired all these wonderful people to come to him and work with him and be so so excited about it?
1: Well, I mean, Shelby was – he was a uh, uh, a virtuoso salesman. I mean, uh, the quote from his first wife is that he could sell white blackbirds. I mean, he (laughs) was a – he was really a remarkable, uh, had a remarkable abil- ability to uh, sell things. And, and what he was really selling most of all, and which was his strongest product, was himself. I mean, he was a, you know, a brilliant man personally, and he just had so much charisma that people wanted to, they wanted to be around him. They wanted to be friends with him. And I mean, I met him on several occasions. I was not a friend of his, but it's just amazing just how he would remember, he remembered you and he knew how to flatter you, <laughs> you know, even... Mm-hmm. I was like a young, not very important journalist and he would even go to the trouble of flattering me, you know, so his personality was just so winning, um, that I think you can't, you can't, uh, underestimate the value of his personality. And, and, uh, you know, he charmed, um, Lee Iacocca, I mean, and Don Fry at Ford and that's how they ended up getting Ford engines. And so I do think, you know, marketing was also, he understood marketing, but, um, He wasn't really, I mean, later he did a lot more of that and, you know, he did a lot more streetcars, but uh, again, early on, you know, he was doing Cobras and really racing was his thing early on. And then getting into production cars was sort of a different kind of a secondary career, I think. But, um, but I think fundamentally he was really more interested in racing, especially in the early days.
0: How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> there you go. If he should have written that book uh, instead of the other guy, but uh, he he just had a way about him, a quite amazing uh, character. You know, I also like to ask a bit about challenges. And in the case of an authoring a book like this, especially a book about a guy that's been written and told so many stories about what, what was some of the big challenges you faced in
1: putting this book together? Well, as you say, the, the hardest thing was making sure I just didn't repeat the same information. I just didn't want to rehash the, the material that everyone seen before. And so I wanted to get some fresh material in there, and I, that's why I ended up talking to basically everyone who was everyone who's still around. You know, there was several dozen, I don't know, three dozen or so people uh, who I was able to talk to. But uh, also, I need to give a shout out to the Shelby, uh, Shelby American Automobile Club. They put out a quarterly magazine, and they have since the 1980s, where they would do Q&As uh, with various players in the Shelby uh, universe. And uh, they were just trans- they were transcribed interviews. Rick Kopeck of the club was kind of to let me use that material. So I had some, for people who were no longer around, like Carol Smith, Bill Eaton, or somebody like that, I mean, these guys aren't here anymore. And also Dave Friedman did the same thing, uh, the photographer Dave Friedman, oh, yeah. and author. And so I was able to use this material. So I wasn't able to talk to these people personally, but it's almost as if I was, had talked to them and get their stories, again, and get them out there and sort of give a, a larger kind of a better perspective on the bigger picture of what went into building the cars and racing the cars and, and putting them into production. Because again, sometimes it seems sort of magical. You, know, you just hear, oh, the car was built and the car appeared and the car won the race. And you don't really realize all the thousands of hours that, that went into work into making that all happen.
0: Well, absolutely. Now, here's a little bit of a twist of a question here. If you could bring back anybody as part of that team, except for Carol, because that's the obvious answer here, to sit down and spend time talking with them. From what you've learned in putting this book together and what you've learned about uh, Shelby American,
1: what's who's
0: one person that you really would have loved to have been able to sit down that we don't have with us anymore?
1: Well, to me, the most important person uh, was Phil Remington. He was really the backbone of that company mm-hmm. from the very start. But it happens that I actually sat down, I was able to sit down with Rem on several occasions, and... Uh, so I, did have, I do have had some really good material from him. I mean, I was still would love to have gone back again because there were things I didn't talk about uh, that had I known at the time, I would have asked him about. But the person I never got a chance to talk to ever was Ken Miles. You know, he was killed in 1966. And uh, Ken wasn't there at the very beginning, but um, he was there early on. And he was uh, a confidant of Shelby's in a way that very few other people, I think, in the company were. And uh, he's, he's the person I think I would have liked to have spoken to most uh, to really get some insight into what what happened there in the early days of the company. And especially between 63 and 66, it changed so fundamentally from a small kind of artisanal shop in in Venice, 8,000 square foot. And then they moved to LAX and they had 84,000 square feet in a yeah. company with 250 people. So he was there during that transition. I would have loved to have just talked to him about that and also to, to get his take on what happened, what really happened at Le Mans in 1966.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. What do you think it was about Ken Miles, Carol Shelby, that relationship that worked so well? Because the the movie of course is the movie, Hollywood, they have to do things with movies to make them, I don't know, more watchable or whatever you might say. But knowing what you know about those characters now, what would you say it was about Ken Miles that Carol really loved?
1: Well, one thing that uh, I think is kind of interesting is the um, four guys who were the most important guys are Shelby, Remington, Ken Miles, and Al Dowd, who was a former Coast Guard warrant officer who was re- hired. He essentially became a team manager. He kind of made the the trains run on time, and then you know he was he kind of ran things behind the scenes. But all four of them were of an age. They were all in their 40s. They'd all of them uh, well, Shelby and three of them. I don't know about Al. I think I was a little bit younger. But the the first three had, had served during World War II. I mean, uh, Shelby was an uh, instructor pilot who never left the States, but he was uh, in the Army Air Corps. Ken Miles was a tank mechanic who uh, was in France after D-Day. And Phil Remington flew a B-50B. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, he was a flight engineer in a B-24 in the Pacific. So I think the three of them were of an age, and they, were, uh, they grew up in the Depression. I just think they, they kind of were, had, they were very simpatico kind of personally. And they weren't necessarily close friends exactly, but I think they had similar sensibilities. And I think uh, they were... Hard working and they understood what they needed to do. Um, and I think that's, that's really was critical to, you know, beneath them were all these 20-year-old mechanics yeah, <laughs> doing all the work. But these were the guys who, uh, you know, they'd kind of been through the wars literally, and um, I think they just sort of saw eye to eye, and they kind of had a, a way about them that, that made them kind of fit together pretty well.
0: You know, it's pretty amazing when you think back. These guys all were in World War II. What a different time that was for the world. And for people and characters, and, and you're right, it was a different time, different characters and how they went through that together and then came forward to rebuild or build this team together. It's pretty phenomenal compared to you think of life today and things and how they are today and, and how it was more simple. I don't know if I want the right word here, maybe more noble in some way or experience life in a whole different way.
1: I think certainly. I mean, having gone through that experience would have made them different. I mean, things that we wouldn't consider acceptable. And people, you know, people died in racing in those days. Um, well, Ken Miles, of <laughs> course, got killed. Yeah. You know, that's not acceptable these days. I mean, then it was it was just part for the course. I mean, not that people looked forward to it, but they they accepted it. And uh, you know, a couple of guys would die every year, and uh, life went on. Um, but I think you know, coming out of World War II, you. You know, maybe you had a different attitude about a certain yeah, fatalism. I perhaps I survived.
0: I survived that. Yeah. I could survive anything.
1: <laughs> right. So uh, I think that that was probably that had something to do with it. No question.
0: So, looking forward, is there another book on the horizon for you?
1: You know, I was I, I was happy to get this one done. <laughs> this oh, was hey, uh, a tough one. I I, I kind of underestimated, as uh, one of our former presidents once said, how much work was involved. Uh, we were uh, Octane and Lee Clatcher Octane. Uh, really wanted to make sure we got this book out this year, you know, for the 60th anniversary. And uh, since we didn't pull the trigger on doing the project till the beginning of the year, that meant everything had to be done very, very quickly.
0: <laughs> that's really quick. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was like, uh, it was kind of funny because it was a little bit like, you know, race cars are always a thrash to get them finished. You know, the last night is always a, an all-nighter. And I kind of felt like that's, this project was sort of like a race car project, except there was like it seemed like there were about 50 all-nighters. <laughs> oh, my gosh. To get it done. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I was... Uh, after. I'm not, I, right now, I'm, not, uh, I'm I'm doing magazine stories like usual. I haven't uh, undertaken another book project yet.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I think there may be another in the future, but I'm sure glad you did this one. And for you listeners, you know, this is a great book to add in your holiday shopping. I always say books are a wonderful gift to give to your friends, your car buddies who are impossible to buy for because they all want impossible stuff uh, right. is to get them a book like this. And even if they're not collectors of books, they can read it and pass it on to their friends and it can keep on going. And thank goodness there's still books being printed these days versus everything online. Uh, it's nice to sit down with a book, something in your hands. Very cool. So let's talk about a special vehicle. Now, I typically ask my guests, and I did last time you are on the show, to pick a special vehicle in your past. Instead, I'm going to have you pick a car that is around the Shelby American team. Now, that doesn't mean a lot of different cars, Cobras, GT40s, perhaps, maybe a couple others. But if you could pick one car that Shelby's life was wrapped around, and take that for a fun ride, or maybe I just park in your garage and give it to you because I'm feeling <laughs> feeling pretty good these days. What car really stands out for you? What would we put Preston into?
1: Well, my favorite car from this whole year is the uh, the Ford GT Mark IV, which is the car that uh, won Le Mans '67 with mm-hmm. AJ Foyt and and. Uh, but, but that wasn't really a Shelby's car. It was developed by Carcraft and Ford. And uh, I mean, he raced the car. The Shelby American was the, you know, they entered the car and they prepped it. But um, I mean, it would have to be a Cobra. I mean, and I mean, the Cobra Daytona Coupe is probably the most, I mean, it's definitely the most famous and valuable of the Cobras. But that was really more of Peter Brock's car. So I would just say the first, and the 427 Cobra is now the. People think of a Cobra, they all think of a 427. Right. But they were actually very unsuccessful in the day nobody wanted them, frankly, when they were being <laughs> built. Um, the car that really uh, established the, the, uh, the Mystique was the original 289 Cobra. And I'd, I'd want one of those. A nice, uh, I think one of the FIA Cobras would be uh, one of the race car Cobras. I mean, that's the car I think that, that was closest to Shelby's heart. And that's the one with me that really um, embodies, I mean, the whole Cobra Mystique for me.
0: Yeah, I like those two, and I think it has to do with they really go back to the AC, or they look like a little Seata or you know, they just have a more of a European versus the bigger cars with the big bulging fenders, which are great. They're cool, but yeah, th- this is a little bit more European for me.
1: Uh, it's yeah, a I, t- t- I agree with that yeah, yeah
0: beautiful cars so I didn't ask you this question I don't think but I am going to ask you today see how you feel about this if you were reincarnated manifest as a vehicle and, and this isn't what you want to be you got to dig deep for me here Preston this is how you perceive <laughs> the man in the mirror okay a little bit of psychology going on here what would you be but the most important part of this is the why
1: Oh, so I any car I want to be, I could be a car? Well,
0: it's not what you want to be. This is a key oh, thing. Here. Well, this well, well, is this is how you perceive your personality oh. manifest. I'm going to make it's not that easy because we all want to be some sexy and fast, right? But yeah, <laughs> this is more about okay, who am I? The kind of guy how I go about things, my mythology, mythology. Now, some people are a Plain old Ford F one hundred and fifty or Range Rover or but I've had some F one people think they're F one cars too so we'll see where we go with this.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, being a sport utility vehicle, this could be unfortunate. This could be uh, kind of depressing. Uh, <laughs> let me see. I I, I gotta think. Uh, I don't know some sort of um, some sort of sports car, but uh, clearly not a Ferrari. Um, okay. Um, Is
0: it, oh well we can narrow know. it down this way: European or U.S. or Japanese.
1: I gotta go European. Well, I don't know. I had a bunch of Japanese cars. I, I don't know. You know. You know. Car. Actually, I like the. Uh, here's one. How about the um a third gen RX seven? Oh. The FD. You okay. know, twin turbo. uh yeah. Although, although frankly, that's a lot more high maintenance than I am. I'm not really a high maintenance <laughs> guy. So
0: maybe the first gen RX seven. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I had I had a first gen, I had a second gen, and I didn't buy the third gen because I knew I would have blown it up. And so, oh, okay. it's kind of the, uh, um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe I a second gen RX7. I don't. Okay. Maybe that's more me. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. What okay. car?
1: What car are you? What what car are you, Mark? Oh, you're gonna flip
0: it on me here. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've been asked this question, and I kind of go back to the Porsche 911, and and the reason for that is I'm a big fan of those. However, I look at the Porsche 911 as a it's a fun car. I hope I'm. A a fun person but it's not super flashy it never really has been uh it just kind of gets out there gets things done keeps on going um i feel like i'm a pretty tenacious guy i don't know anybody who's interviewed (laughs) 2192 people five a week for eight and a half years that's kind of crazy bulldog attitude and the 911 is that way both in racing and the street you know pretty reliable and just keeps on going so yeah i guess i'll kind of stick to the the 911s
1: Damn, I should have picked a nine eleven. I think that's a better choice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you gotta look in the mirror sometimes, you know. Uh that's the key. But you know, I'm not a GT two or G T three R S or anything sleek or fancy like that or turbo. Um, just kind of your basic nine eleven. Maybe going back to the like the SCs or even the Long Hoods. I had a 72S. that was uh probably I, I probably wouldn't even be an S. I'd probably just be a T. Kind of just get out there and do it and keep going. But uh, kind of the way I, I look at myself, but uh Thanks for flipping the mic on me a little bit, there. <laughs> nice trick. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on is you're doing. I mentioned in your intro, you're doing a lot of writing for Haggerty, and I wanted to talk maybe a little bit about some of the different things you're doing for them.
1: Well, I, you know, Haggerty. Uh, I think Maciel Haggerty is is trying uh, to to create world domination. <laughs> uh, Seems to be, yeah. Yeah, so many uh, so many great things that uh, that he's done with that company. Um, but uh, so Haggerty has, you know, they have got. Um, Two print publications. They have The Driver's Club, which is a great magazine run by Larry Webster, and they also have a limited edition uh, magazine called Radius. And uh, they have you know they have the website, which is really um, spectacular, and they also have now a two secondary websites. They have Insider, which is run by David Zenley. I mean, the website is run by Eric Wiener, and David Zenley runs the Insider website. And Cameron Nouveau has just started a new motor Sites website, and uh, I don't know what else they're also doing. They do video with Jason Camisa and a whole bunch of stuff. So um, it's really incredible what sort of what the brand has been extended to. But I'm doing kind of the same sort of stories that I used to write for Automobile and Road and Track, but I'm just now doing it for uh, for Haggerty. So you know, just doing. I'm actually doing a. bi-weekly column on motorsports you know did a piece on um connie nyholm who who co-owns um vir raceway and uh you know doing a piece on a Delahaye type 135 m uh i'm working on right now actually was just doing an interview just before speaking with you about that so you know getting to do a whole variety of really interesting things
0: yeah boy the magazine world has sure changed i just had. uh Two weeks ago, I believe it was Mike Guy, who's running the Road and Track now, and talked uh-huh. length about how different that publication has had to become in all publications, and how magazines have changed so much to these large format publications. Um, more, you know, some of them are more in-depth stories, some of them are shorter stories, uh, but everything's certainly changed a lot. And for guys like you and I, have been around for a while. Uh, there's kind of a renaissance going on, which kind of leads me to a question about your opinions and thoughts on electric vehicles.
1: Uh, well, I am—I mean, in principle and and in reality, I mean, I'm I'm in favor of electric vehicles. I remember I did a story on um, JB Straubel, who was the CTO at Tesla before. The Roadster actually came out, which was the first of the Teslas. And I think an automobile did, I, I believe, the first story on the first formal road test of, a tes- of the Tesla Roadster. You know, for me, the the issue is, I mean, we need to have, for, for the cars to really, they need to percolate down to the masses. I mean, right now, they're just expensive cars for the most part. I mean, right. you know, the Teslas are just too pricey. And, you know, they've been, I think they've gotten, a, you know, they've got the tax credits, which have obviously helped. Um, and, you know, Tesla as a brand has managed to get a lot of sort of, fanboys who who really love the product sort of regardless of how good it is or uh, what its shortcomings may be um but uh you know we're going to need to uh, we, for for evs to really um you know to, to get enough penetration in the market they just need to they need to be less expensive i mean it's just all there is to it so i'm, I'm waiting my girlfriend's looking for evs right now and uh you know she wants like an SUV, but we're, you know, we're looking at minimum around forty or so, $1,000. I mean, that's, that's a pretty high bar to entry, I think.
0: Well, and if you're going to finance it, all of a sudden, guess what's happened to car interest <laughs> right. rates? Holy mackerel. Uh, I was just looking at some people this morning. A guy was asking, hey, I'm looking to buy a new, and he was looking at a Porsche. You know, what kind of rates are you paying through Porsche finance? And 8.9%, 9%. Oh, my God. I'm like, well, uh, wrong time to buy a car, <laughs> that's for sure, unless you're, unless you're a cash buyer. And even if you're a cash buyer, uh, try to find one. I mean, uh, my local Porsche dealership, I was down there a couple of weeks ago asking, and they said, we haven't had a new car in here that we could sell anybody for two and a half years, uh, except yeah. for maybe Cayennes and Macans, but I'm talking about 911s or 718s or something like that. So, yeah, it's a weird time. It's a very weird, weird Renaissance time, quite actually, because I've had a lot of guests on the show here who are building EVs, all different companies. I mean, it's and, and even taking old classic cars and putting electric motors in them. And yeah, it's it's a I think it's one of the most unique times I've ever seen when it comes to the automotive world.
1: Would you feel the same way? No, yeah. I, well, I remember when the when the Tesla Model S came out, that was the uh, that was the automobile of the year. I remember we have automobile used to do a thing like you know Car and Driver and Motor Trend and. Where they do it, they take all the new cars and they drive them all together and then pick a winner. And um, you know, it was the hands-down winner. I mean, it was uh, the only problem was it was it was a hundred thousand dollar car. You know, so yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're a hundred thousand dollars, you you've got a certain you know you're expected to be you know have a certain level of quality, which it did. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. It's a fascinating time in cars. I mean, I have. You know, I have a pickup truck getting eighteen miles to the gallon, so I hate to go anywhere these days. I mean Well, you know, you're
0: in California. Holy cow. You guys are just yeah. getting walloped. I yeah, I, I think I filled up our SUV yesterday and it was uh, I'm in the Pacific Northwest and it was four four eighty two, I think, four eighty four, something like that at Costco. So
1: Oh mine mine's more like six fifty. Oh and- yeah, at
0: least yeah. And I'm talking about premium.
1: So. Oh yeah, this is this is regular, and my my credit card cuts off a hundred dollars. I haven't filled up my tank, yeah, yeah. all the way <laughs> well, in like legend. about a year. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's been a tough one, that's for sure. Well, let's talk about something a little bit more fun. Uh, I do ask guests about. Well, let me back up one step, and that is, I ask about great books, and obviously today we're promoting this wonderful book by Preston Lerner and our friends at Octane, Shelby American: The Renegades Who Built the Cars, Won the Races, and Lived the Legends. of I'll put a link to it. very easy to get your hands on a copy of this book. And I encourage all you listeners to buy one because you're going to love this read. And again, if you're not a collector of books, read it and hand it on to your best car buddy. So there you go. So I'm going to arrange for you to go on what I call the ultimate drive. I'm going to buy you any car. I'm going to park in your garage. Yeah, this is kind of a fun deal. Could be a Shelby car. Could be anything in the world. Doesn't matter. Uh, But here's the key. You could take anybody that you would like with you. Even somebody who has passed nobody or somebody who's not with us anymore, which opens up a world of opportunities for a very cool drive. So what does an ultimate drive with the ultimate person look like for you, Preston?
1: Oh man, Mark, this comes <laughs> out of nowhere.
0: Uh, <laughs> I see. Um... Well, let's, let's break it down a couple uh notches here. One is yeah the person. I mean, and again, oh. here's the key. It could be somebody who's no longer with us, which I mean, it could be Henry Ford. It could be Carroll Shelby, uh, you know, All sorts of people that would be fun to ride with.
1: Yeah, well, let's see. I'm a big racing fan. Okay. So have to be a a racer, I guess. Uh, I've always been fascinated by uh, uh, the pre-war American genius, Harry Miller. Oh wow! Miller oh gosh! Race cars Those and, wonderful uh, cars. Yeah, oh, man. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say
0: Harry Miller. Okay, that? yeah, that's. Well, I don't wonderful. know what
1: we were talk about, considering he died before I was born. But uh, well, you know,
0: uh, it'd be pretty amazing. Uh, here, here's something that might help you decide in the car because I got to spend some time around some Miller race cars, and I was just blown away. I mean, just they're like little, little jewels. Well, big jewels. They're kind of big cars, but so Miller, and then what about? jumping into something just really crazy and new and wild and that would just kind of blow his socks off.
1: Let's see. Well, that's something really I really knew I'm really crazy about. Although, I mean, it was Porsche, like a GT3, a GT3 911 would be a pretty nice car, but I don't think I want to drive that across country exactly. <laughs> Yeah. exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. I'm Probably not a Pagani or anything like that either. Might be a little rough.
1: He'd be amazed by a Model S, actually. Can you imagine what he would make of that? Well, uh, yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, it would probably blow him away. And, and then the technology sitting in the cockpit and looking at the dash and seeing how interconnected to the world you can be while driving the car. Um, yeah, that would kind of, yeah, he'd probably <laughs> wouldn't have much to say. He'd just be going, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Right. This is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I I, I, think, think I I think just the person is pretty special.
1: I think I'm going to go with a even this is even worse for going across. I'm going to go a Lamborghini Mura, which I've actually never been (laughs) in, and I and I hear is terrible to drive in. But that that to me is the most spectacular looking, you know, post-war car. So that's that's what I'm going to go for. Lamborghini Murano with with, uh, Harry Miller.
0: Now you're tugging on my heartstrings. I I have been (laughs) able to drive one, and they are just insane. I I don't know about a cross-country drive, but I think I could put up with it. Um, You know, not super (laughs) comfortable, and maybe a little hot, but uh, just spectacular car. And and how could you get even? You know, any more crazy from a a Miller race car to a mirror. I mean, you'd go, what? Somebody stepped on this thing. How could could you build a car so low to the ground? Yeah, Yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool. He probably spent all the time pulled over looking at stuff. And then when you open up the back clamshell of that car and he looked in at the engine, he'd probably just drop his jaw, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention, hey, wait, it's it's positioned sideways. How'd you do that? Uh Yeah. Some fun stuff. Well, you've taken us on a fun ride today, Preston, and I'm so happy to uh, brought you back here. Before I let you go, could you share maybe uh, parting words of inspiration, a mantra or some kind of success quote that maybe something that you live by or something that writing this great book about Shelby American taught you?
1: Well, I think I said something like this the last time, and but I believe in it, and I, I know you do too. If you've been well, since you've done twenty one hundred ninety two of these in the past five <laughs> eight or six years, years yeah, eight, eight years, eight uh, and a
0: half years, yeah, wow.
1: But uh, I think there's no uh, there's no substitute for um, for tenacity and uh, persistence and just just working at it. I mean, honestly, uh, I don't know if it's ninety nine percent. Perspiration is ninety nine percent of the equation, but uh, but you don't get any. No matter how talented you are, no matter how smart you are. You don't get anywhere unless you actually put the work in, and um, a book that definitely teaches that. I mean, a book is to me a book is like a lot of different magazine articles put together. But you know, it's it's just you have to have a longer time horizon. But you have to, you know, because you can't get everything done in two days or in a week or something like that. But, yeah, um, you
0: can't cram for, for for a book like you do for a text. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you really can't. And, um, but so uh, I think just working at it and, and just uh, telling yourself that you have to get up every day and just put in the hours, I mean, that's to me the most important thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How can people follow along with you these days?
1: Well, unfortunately, I'm a dinosaur, so I have no social media presence whatsoever. Lucky you. (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, sometimes I kind of live for the day that I can, I can live like that and just give it all up because it's just, I sit here and scream at my computer some days and my wife said, don't look at that stuff. It's just upsetting you. Uh, but I understand. Well, I think the main, the main way would be to, uh, follow you on your writings with the Haggerty group and also get your hands on the, get, their hands on this book, and I'll put links to the book on uh, Preston's show notes page. But again, it's easy to find. You can just go to Google Shelby American Preston Lerner. You can find it on the Octane Press website or, of course, Amazon or wherever you like to buy your book these days. Does that sound fair enough?
1: Yes, that's perfect. Thanks, okay,
0: there you go. And again, a shout out. Thank you to Joe Snyder at Octane Press and my friends for uh, bringing Preston back on. They, they publish some amazing books. You got to go check them out. I'll put a link to their website as well. Well, Preston, I know you're off tomorrow. You're a very busy guy these days, which is great, but I appreciate you taking a pit stop with Carja yeah and me today. Thanks for being so generous with your time until you and I talk again. Hopefully not, uh, not in another uh, four or five years. It'll be sooner than that. <laughs> I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you, Mark, and thanks for all the great work you do.
0: You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!